Welcome to this episode of Talking Points. I'm your host, Brian Kelly. And today, you know what? I'm pretty proud of our guests on Talking Points. We've had our fair share of CEOs and CMOs. But today, we have someone who has shaped the travel industry in many different ways, including being the CEO of a major airline. So I was CEO of Swiss Air. I knew how to talk and use a calculator. (laughs) And a founding CEO of one of the most influential online travel agencies. Orbitz would show everything was about choice and many other positions including pilots today i'm flying something called a citation m2 it's like flying your iphone innovator to the max jeff katz right after this hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Talking Points, Jeff Katz. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, Jeff, when you were growing up, did you always knew that you wanted to be a big travel industry disruptor? I'm... <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I mean, I've always been interested in airplanes as a young child, and I traveled. My parents were European immigrants, and so I traveled to Europe a lot as a young child. So I've always been interested in airplanes, but didn't really fancy myself as being involved in travel till a much later stage of life. Where did you grow up? Was there an airport that you would... There there was an airport. I grew up in what is today a well-known town called Napa, California. Oh, wow. Uh, Back then, it was just sort of a blue-collar place. And what brought your parents there? Um, It was... You'll laugh, but in those days, that's where you could afford a house if you lived in San Francisco. (laughs) So they were... My dad was an accountant. My mom was a nurse. So So he was was in the city? Yes, an affordable place to live uh, near the city. And were the wineries uh, not, there? But not, not, not really. In the early days of the Napa Valley, it was Christian Brothers and Krug, names that people don't know today. And Mondavi kind of started up developing some acclaim in the late 70s, early 80s. So you started at the airlines, right? I Is did. That- I, I graduated from MIT with a graduate degree, and today they would call it decision science or something like that. But it was a time in deregulation era where, where the, the airlines were really in sore need of people with quantitative skills. Mm-hmm. They were coming out of a regulated environment, and they really wanted to know, how do we run airlines? And uh, Because pricing during regulation was, was just fixed, a set amount. was so, fixed, and you know. schedules were fixed. So yeah. if you had a fixed schedule and a fixed price, um, it was regulated to make a 12% return. Now, you had Ed on earlier. Ed wouldn't be satisfied with 12%, yeah. but that was big money back in the yeah. regulated days. And so when those r- rules were relaxed, nobody really knew how to run an airline. And so quantitative people were brought in, and I was part of that, to try and help them problem solve how to schedule an airline, what airplanes to buy, how to set prices, and build all the systems, in at least the early day systems, around managing that scale. 
you know, the deregulation was late 70s. Like, what was the impetus behind that? Was there consumer backlash against pricing? Because it, it was pretty expensive to it fly was, back then. And it was, it was a not well-run industry. And yeah, there was, but there was a movement politically to deregulate. And, um, and that happened in the late 70s. But sort of the implementation of it happened through the 80s. And even the 90s, mm-hmm. I'd have to say, we were still struggling to figure it out. Uh, now it looks like managements know what they're doing and relatively to when I was in the early days of airlines, they do. So you graduate from MIT and go to Dallas-based American? I went to American Airlines, yeah. Somebody once asked me, how did you get ahead at American Airlines? And I, I say, and I think this is largely true, I knew how to talk and use a calculator. <laughs> uh, and that was my chief skill in the day. Yeah. Which And, you know, airlines are a huge recruiter of MBAs and to this day working in the pricing, management, and then, you know, all across the business. Yes, yes. Um, So were you in pricing, how to price air? So I was in a department called Operations Research, and we built computer models. We built the software and we built the, uh, the math around how to optimize flights and what airplanes to buy, how to calculate profitability. And this is pre, you know, mainstream internet. So, you know, airlines would sell tickets. You'd have to come up with pricing. And then, you know, was it mostly through travel agents? Yes, yes. In those days, travel agents were the big deal. And in fact, the development of Sabre, which you know well, uh, came about in that era as a way to get travel agents off the telephone and onto the computer. So the airlines, so for people listening who don't know, Sabre, you know, a global distribution system affairs, a unified language for yes. airlines to talk to travel agents so they didn't have to have a different system for connecting to every yes. airline. Yes. And you ended up working at Sabre. Yeah, I ran I ran Sabre, the so-called GDS, for four years when it was public, but it was still controlled by American Airlines when I ran it. And we, we grew it out around the world. And, and yeah, it was a very influential tool for travel agents to be able to work smarter, but it also allowed the airlines to manage themselves smarter Mm -hmm. so fares could be updated by the second, if you will. After Sabre, you went to work at Swiss. Yeah. Was that move something that you had in mind, or did that opportunity sort of present itself? Well, it presented itself, and in that time, that was the late 90s, the European airlines were now going through deregulation, deregulation, and so they imported immigrant labor, I was one, <laughs> to go help them transition through that. So I was CEO of Swiss Air, but a number of my friends and colleagues went to other European airlines so to help them. So was it just like bringing back those late 70s you know, transition models from regulated to deregulated? Were you doing the same sort of well, work? Well, there was a lot of what was the same. You had to update your systems. You had to negotiate employee contracts that were about productivity. And you had to deal with the dynamism, the speed of hub and spoke and building hub and spoke and moving more quickly. It was different because culturally the Europeans then... Uh, were really different than the American uh, personality. When I first got there, I was interviewed in a setting like this by some Swiss journalists who said, uh, do you believe in loyalty? Are you just all about hiring and firing? And that was the, that was the mentality they had about American management at mm. that time. And so culturally, it was, there was a lot more diplomacy. They care a lot about customers, more than we did in my early airline days in the U.S. We were, you know, we were all about trying to make money, and we were not really good at it in the mm-hmm. early days. But the, so the culturally, quite a bit more elegant is the word I'd use. Modern-day loyalty programs kind of spawned from that deregulation, yeah. right? When yeah, all early of a sudden, 80s. Airlines were like, wait, we have to compete now, not yeah. on price, but how— and 
and that's I think American was the first. So were you involved in those early discussions on the loyalty program? Uh, not on the loyalty program. Um, I was really involved in pricing, though, building early pricing models. Uh, were you bought into the loyalty concept, or did, oh, yeah. was it like a thorn in your side? No, it was really powerful then, and, and is very powerful now. And you know, it was an era when loyalty programs were invented, discounted fares were invented, mm-hmm. and the fact that the fares moved in real time, that was all... That was really new and fundamental to running the airline better from a profitability standpoint. As a marketer, that must have, I mean, it's a wild, wild west of like a brand new market created. It was wild. It was fun. We made a lot of mistakes. It was a great upbringing. And we, you know, a lot of the people who are around aviation and travel today came. Doug Parker at American, for example, you know, had a cube down the hall from me. A lot of important yeah. folks came out of uh, that era, and now there's new generations. So you moved to Switzerland, and you're charged with to deregulate what is now a very premium airline. Was yes. Swiss as high-end back then, and how much did you throw yourself into the product and things like that, or were you more the... Uh, the technocrat. <laughs> um, um, it was a privilege, honestly, to work there and for Swiss Air. It was the passion for the brand was amazing. They, there were people who would put their name in the Swiss telephone book. There was such a thing back then. And in the telephone book, it would say the person's name and Swiss Air employee next to it. That's how proud oh, they wow. were of the company or Swiss Air captain. That's how proud they were of the company. So it was a real privilege. And I was definitely loved being involved in the product. We did some outrageous things. And uh, customers loved flying Swiss Air. And I think they still largely do love flying the new Swiss. Yeah. I flew Swiss first for the first time this summer. And although I flew through Geneva and everyone was like, no, you got to The experience through Zurich is like drastically better than Geneva has like a couple flights to JFK. So the lounge and ground service is not the same. But what were some of those outrageous things you did? Did you start offering caviar and crazy champagne? Did they offer that pre-deregulation? Or? Yes, yeah. caviar and that of the like that came pre-deregulation. We were one of the early innovators with, you know, laugh at this, electronic tickets, websites, live flat seats. We would carve a whole filet of salmon along with the caviar. One of my favorite things that we did is we had, you know, they're very technologically advanced and we had a system set up so that If you had the right kind of telephone, now this is in the late 90s, as you entered the terminal, we would read that your telephone, your present, we would pre-print your boarding card and you collected your boarding card. Wait, this is in the late 90s? Late 90s. What? A flight attendant type person, a service person would hand you your boarding card as you approached the immigration line for business class, for business class. It it was truly amazing and it was a remarkable experience. So we did things like that, um, that over time, you know, that 9-11 crushed a lot of airlines. That was after my time at Swiss Air, but crushed a lot of US and European airlines. And some of these things had to go away for another time. So my points education was in the mid 90s. My dad got a job as a consultant. We lived outside of Philly. He now had to book his own flights, yep. and I was a computer nerd from like 1990 on, where I had taught myself DOS, and I got on AOL and Prodigy. <laughs> so my first job was, um, my dad was like, I have to book tickets. Yeah. I'll pay you $10 a ticket to do it for me. He thought it was this whole convoluted process, and I had just signed up for Travelocity. I think it was 95. Yep. And so that was my job, and I would book his travel, and then it turns out he had all these frequent flyer miles with U.S. Airways at the time and, and American, and that's when I started booking our family's trips Every year he'd miss my basketball games because he was traveling, but we would go to the Caribbean, all on his points, all six of us. But anyway, so mid-90s, the you know, 
OTAs explode. Yep. You know, consumers are getting on the internet in mass amount, and the airlines freak out. Yep. So to speak. Yep. In 2000, the U.S. airlines kind of combined to fight against the Expedias and the Travelocities and start orbits, and they tap you to run it. Yeah. So was that a tough decision to leave uh, the, yeah, the Swiss life? I mean, life? I, I tell it this way. I was, I was living a very privileged life. I mean, they washed my car twice a week, helicoptered me all <laughs> over the country. But I, I knew, having had a daughter who had to start high school, I knew I would have to decide to stay or leave. And honestly, I got these calls from the most powerful people in the airline industry, and I thought it was a really horrible idea, because their essential idea is we want to compete with Travelocity and Expedia. And I really thought, that's a bad idea. You know, you're five years too late. I've been at Sabre. I know how hard this is. But these executives of the big airlines, many of them reached out to me, and I thought, maybe they know something I don't. Mm -hmm. So I, I agreed to leave and and I came to Chicago in the summer of 2000. And I like to tell people when I arrived, we had 10 guys in a bad PowerPoint deck. <laughs> and um, But a bunch of funding from these there, airlines? But the capital, well, at least the early part of the capital was there. And the dot-com bubble had burst, so you couldn't do it without capital. Nobody would fund a, an internet startup in 2000. But there must have been a lot of talent on the marketplace. There was, was a lot of talent on the marketplace, so that 10 people grew to a much bigger number. And the team built a really great product and it had a really great idea which was about choice and five years after the launch of Travelocity and Expedia you could build a lot better product and a lot more cheaply mm -hmm. than you could in the mid-90s. So you had a cool name, Orbitz. Yeah. What was the genesis behind that? You know, I didn't like the name when it was first proposed, but we went through a marketing process yeah. to sort of test and search for trademarkable, licensable names, and that's where it came from. So you had, you know, several U.S. carriers, but your consumer value prop, you know, especially for antitrust that you were going to display. We were not a cartel. Before we launched the product, a couple of our competitors had us investigated as a cartel. Yeah. So I actually, the only guy that I know who's had to testify in front of the Senate twice in his life. Yes. Yeah, so you were going to display all fares. Unbiased. Unbiased. Yes. And what was the key differentiator from Travelocity and Expedia? Well, you have to remember that back in those early days, and you would know this well, when Travelocity, because I was there when it was really created, was a browser window into mm. Sabre. So you would see something like three flights in a, not a very attractive yep. ledger. You had to be you to use it. And so Orbit's would show everything. You know, if you wanted to see 10,000 options, you, you could click a link and see 10,000 options. And thinking about 2000, I mean, that, those are the days when internet was still sort of dial-up screeching. And it, like that, that must have been a pretty tough math it, problem to solve. Like, it, it was. And again, we had, we were the, some of the early users of the Linux platform, so we could really create a lot of scale cheaply. We licensed what what is today very well known uh, fair search engine called ITA. We were really mm -hmm. the first people to use it, and people loved the product. I remember doing uh, interviews when we launched in June of two thousand and one on Times Square, and they had cameras literally lining Times Squares, and they'd march me from camera station to camera station and talk about orbits because it was in all the yeah. news. People would interview me and I'd have three or four minutes and in between I'd call our network ops center and say, is it still working? <laughs> is it still working? Because the team didn't want to launch. Yeah. We had to launch and it really worked well. And it was So it was it, a hit from day one. It was a say? hit from day one. It was a remarkable hit. Yeah, it was quite a ride. You were there for several years. It just kept growing and growing. Mm -hmm. 
up until at the point where the regulators came in and made you sell it off? Is that <laughs> no? We actually sold it to a holding company just at the end of two thousand four. So Jeez. when we sold it, the new owner of the company says, "Well, so how long do you think you'll be staying, <laughs> Jeff?" And I said, uh, "We were up in his office overlooking Central Park," and I said, three, maybe four minutes." <laughs> I was going to say hours, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's literally what I said, and that's about what I did. Well, I handed over the keys. You don't build a house and move yeah, in with a new owner. No, totally. All right, we're going to take a quick break now. I'll see you right after we hear from our sponsors. Hey there, it's me again, Brian. And excuse the interruption, but we're gearing up for another hotline bling on Talking Points. I know you remember the number, one tpg trvl One of the biggest shopping days of the year is coming up, and the Points Guy team wants you to make the most of it. So if you've got any questions on how to earn miles or use them this holiday season, we will be taking your questions. Once again, call us at 1-877-TPG-TRVL. So I'll take your questions, and I'll also give you the scoop on my upcoming holiday trip to, wait for it, Maldives, India, and Israel. Yes, I'm going back to Israel my second time this year, and I'm doing most of it on miles and points. So give me a call. Leave me your message on how you can maximize your holiday spending and time off. Come on, guys. We all need a vacation, even me. While it may seem like I'm just on an eternal vacation, couldn't be further from the truth. They work me to the bone here at the Point Sky. So the hotline closes two weeks before Turkey Day. So call soon. That's one eight seven seven tpg trvl And I'll see you after the... 
and Boston Consulting Group. So how did you get together this motley crew of, uh, <laughs> you know, huge travel brands? Well, yeah, no, they're, they're an incredible group of brands, and they were at least initially persuaded by the idea that the world is changing and there is an opportunity to capitalize on a bigger picture than just the overnight, just the flight, just the ground travel. There's an opportunity and that big brands are going to capitalize best on this knowledge of the journey is really about taking better care of the traveler. And really important in this new world is you have to recognize that data is a currency. Mm -hmm. And you got to get ready for a world where not just Google knows that, but travel brands capitalize on the fact that their information is key to making a better journey. And collaborating with brands is key to creating better travel experiences and better marketing partnerships. And so some of the stuff that can happen now with Jernera, I'm super excited about. Like when I board the flight, I'm automatically, can automatically be checked into my hotel and a digital room key mm -hmm. can be pushed to me. You can only know that if you know in real time yeah. the customer's entire it journey. It seems like this would be a no-brainer for car rental agencies because that's a, such a pain when you're on the plane. Oh. And at last minute, you're delayed, and then you got to call and hope that the car exactly. is there. Exactly. So many opportunities and ride share. And we, we've had people come to us, even private jet operators have come mm -hmm. to us who maneuver ferry crews around the marketplace, and they're looking to stay more up-to-date with what's happened to their flight crew as they get to a mission. Now, you know, the GDSs in general were to bring multiple airlines for point of sale and to book. Yes. Dronera is not trying to get in front of the booking process. We're not. Really just about this idea that see the journey, make the journey better, get more journeys, get the right customers taken care of in the right way. And ultimately, sure, we can make bookings happen through the same pipe mm -hmm. because a booking is just a purchase where certain information, enough information is is known by the seller, the service, the airline, or the hotel, so that a transaction can be done. But we're really not trying to focus there. We're focused on just make the journey better. Wouldn't it be great if all of our travel was a good experience rather than sometimes not? So then in these companies sharing their customer information, like who decides who gets what information, right? Do you then have to have all these bilateral agreements between <laughs> your member companies? Or is the point of it to be, as you mentioned, I mean, it's piping, right? Yeah, it's called real-time secure collaboration. So, And the way it works is like this. We take information from a brand, we encrypt it all, and no personal information at all is stored. Zero. So Brian might be known as XYZ2 in our system to American and YZ4 to Hyatt. And that's all that's in the system. It's these tokens mm -hmm. or encryption. And then we know you're on this flight going into Chicago and you'll be staying in that hotel and you might have booked a, a rideshare car reservation and so on. And all that information is kept live. So when you make changes or cancels uh, or adjustments or if somebody wants to push you an upgrade offer or adjust the flight, automatically for you. They see the whole journey and we keep it all live in sync. So are there interesting examples of how Jernera is making journeys better today? Like are there... It's very early days, but a classic problem we are beginning to address is what I call the airline hotel handoff. Mm -hmm. And so that is to say, I'm arriving early for my hotel. I could be automatically or offered early check-in. I'm arriving late. My room can be protected a digital key or a pre-printed key can be done for me, so I don't wait anywhere. I just show my ID. My key's already done. So that classic early, late, changed mm -hmm. hotel room linked to the airline is an important one that's it's beginning to happen. But there's a lot of 
variations on that theme. Yeah. You can imagine how loyalty status plays into that, how are you a corporate traveler, and what level of corporate travel plays into that. And rental car and ride share, similarly, this handoff between yeah. providers. It seems like this would be a good platform as a point of sale, right? You know, my sure. flight's canceled in uh, Atlanta. It's 11 p.m. Instead of having to go fumble around, like, if you know someone's status in all programs and if you had pricing info. like I think the way I see it is we can be a pipe that facilitates that transaction. Let's suppose you're, you have a Hyatt in an American room. If that hotel room needed to be adjusted, the revised booking could be done directly by Hyatt in their system. Mm-hmm. And the data that's required goes back and forth through the pipe, as it were, through Jernera. But the booking can be done in the Hyatt system. Booking can be done in the American mm-hmm. system. It's a bit complicated, but I think that's in our future, what I call the intermediary-less transaction. It's not so well-received by certain people in the industry, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of kinds of bookings yeah. where you don't need a middle person. Yeah, interesting. So you're you're careful not to step on toes, so to speak? Yeah, I, I want Genera to be a low-friction idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're not a brand. We're not a consumer-facing brand. Mm-hmm. So how people deal with that kind of issue is, is up to them. But let's face it, in the future... You know, what do you think the future of OTAs or GDSs yeah. is? I think it's less glamorous than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's just because there's so much you can do by yourself. You don't need intermediaries. Yeah. I'm the points guy, right? We all love points. Points, right. as you say, data is a currency. I would right. say points are this huge currency. You know, a lot of airlines make more money selling points than they Correct. do airline seats. Correct. And, Something we think about, and so we're launching our app next year. We want to help our readers get the content that they need, but also, you know, people have a lot of value in points across the board. So we want to help people track their points in a way that's meaningful. We want to give people tools, you know, similar to an OTA for award travel, whereas it's very segmented today. It's very time-consuming. The airlines and hotel companies know the, the most valuable customers are the ones engaged in loyalty. Correct. So we're working hard to figure out how we can help people use points easier. Yep. Um, yep. Knowing the piping of airlines and how fares work and how the loyalty programs operate, yeah. do you think that's something with the technology out there today to create a seamless points you know, marketplace? It, it, it certainly can be done. I mean, you will, and I'm sure you already do, confront the rules of engagement, the, yeah. those currency owners. It's just like the Federal Reserve and the Central Bank of Europe don't arbitrarily let you trade currencies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rules. And so you'll you'll deal with those. First of all, consumers are manic and they're really focused on their points. You know this better than everybody in the world. So I think there's a need for that. How you help them both know more and transact better mm-hmm. is a little bit the magic opportunity yeah. for you. In my Genera context, what I often like to say is there's not a technical reason why two brands can't decide to make their points liquid mm-hmm. Dynamically, So you put in a yield management system yep. that says today Brian is worth this many points per dollar. And if he'll trade in that many points, I'll let him buy this room or ride or, or airline flight. And then we can just move that exchange rate back right. and forth dynamically. Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's, it's the so actual, so technically know. it can be done. But I think to your point, the commercialization yeah. and making it user yeah. friendly, it's a big challenge. And I look forward to seeing yeah. what you build. What do you think? I mean, this leads me to blockchain and mm-hmm. how you guys are using blockchain. I feel like, you know, three years ago, blockchain was all the rage. 
How are you using the technology and do you still think like, is it going to impact the way we travel? Because well, I feel like it's kind of faded recently. Yeah, it's not the answer to all dental solutions. You know, blockchain is a, is a sort of a cryptographic computing idea. And I think it will find its way out, particularly in things like financial settlement mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. The technology today is not really good at supporting real-time purchasing transactions. Mm -hmm. I think that'll evolve. So in the current state of affairs, financial settlement is a great area for blockchain. It doesn't handle the sort of dynamism that mm -hmm. we try and support and that most e-commerce companies support when you're shopping for something, buying something, trading mm -hmm. something in. What would you say to a consumer today that, you know, breaches are a monthly, if not weekly, occurrence of major brands? Do you believe most companies are like you're doing encrypting and keeping customers' information safe? Or as a society, do we need to be pushing for stricter standards? Or do you believe private industry is already keeping up with that? Uh, well, I think the marketplace is pushing really hard, as is the regulatory marketplace, for stricter standards and adherence to standards. You're on constant defense. But I think industry is getting better and better and better. People probably ask you this all the time, just like I'm always bugged at uh, dinner parties about how to use my points. What would you tell someone today you want to go from point A to point B. How do I get the cheapest airfare? Well, the, the answer that satisfies the person asking the question is shop till you're tired of shopping mm -hmm. and, and then buy on the, at the place where it's easiest for you to do it. You'll be very smart and you'll be very tired and, and then you'll just pay the market price. I don't think there is a best place to buy, mm -hmm. but over time, the brands want you to buy direct. And yeah. I think that'll... But do you think that's in the best interest of the consumer? Look, I think cheap will always be available in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Cheap may not be most easy to buy from the brand, but best will probably always be easiest to buy from the yeah. brand. And best will be more clear, and best will be even easier than buying it someplace yeah. else. So ITA is now essentially Google Flights. Yeah. Are you a Google Flights person for, I'm, for I, price shopping? I mean, or? I'm familiar with it. Uh, I use my own mousetrap, uh, <laughs> so to speak, because I can't resist, not yep. that it's better. If we look at the future, Google's going to be very big. Mm -hmm. They're already huge in travel. They're going to be huger, and they're going to be a lot better over the next 10 or so years, as will others. I mean, you could look, think about, should Apple play in travel? Why not? As services, businesses yep. become important to them, Amazon and so forth. But Google will certainly be big, and they'll be really good, as will other brands that are harder to point your so finger you at. I agree Google will be bigger, but do you think they'll be better? Like, I feel like today they own maps, and and, and I think the maps thing will get even bigger. But right. And yes, we all Google search, and they'll trim, you know, they'll yeah. skim off there right. because they're just... Right you know, convenient, but are they actually adding like the value and the, the rating systems? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, am also very segmented in the way well, I, I, I guess I, I do. I don't Google. of course have any personal insights into what they're doing, but I think to count out Google as an amazing provider of travel service is smoking something. Yeah. You know, they have built a giant business by really being good at understanding computer science mm -hmm. and creating remarkable experiences. And that's at the angle at which they come out everything. So is there room for new remarkable experiences in travel? I think so. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll see a lot from them. Maybe the points guy should fill that void. <laughs> um, looking, looking forward to just the future of travel, you know, there's Hyperloop, there's space flight, like, in, you know, next five to 10 year things that you're most excited about, about the travel in general, whether it's terrestrial or 
Well, of course, my bias is I think all experiences can be better experiences, and I think that's a lot. You know, just taking a lot of friction and putting in more opportunity into travel, I think we'll see a lot there. I think some of the stuff like Hyperloop and space travel is way overhyped for our lifetime. Most people can't afford space Mm -hmm. travel, and most people are afraid of the risks associated with personal space travel. But I think you're going to see a lot more, you know, ground travel is going to be better. Air travel is going to be a lot more efficient. I think our opportunity to be personally served while we're traveling everywhere in the world is going to be a lot better. And those are things I'd look for before I look to get on a Hyperloop. And biometrics, you know, we've had uh, Karen, the CEO of Clear on this podcast, and biometrics, I think, are, yes, I understand the consumer concern, but like talk about a way to make airports more seamless, the whole travel experience safer, you know, versus people eyeing an old ID. Will biometrics be a part of Jornera? I think, again, we see the world, you know, as just a lot of data feeds. And so the instantiation of a clear ID can be a data feed that comes across as part of a transaction, as part of an experience that's built between two or three or ten brands for you on your journey. I usually ask people window or aisle seat, but because you're a pilot, it's the pilot seat, clearly. (laughs) What do you, you know, I've actually, I love flight. I know a lot of people love to fly. As passengers... I sometimes, I don't have the time now, but I toy around with getting a pilot's license. Like, when did you get it? And do you recommend for most people to fly? Or is it, if someone loves being a passenger, should they just remain? Yeah, just hang out there. First of all, (laughs) it's a lot cheaper. Um, (laughs) What kind of planes do you fly? um, Well, I've flown a a lot of airplanes today. I'm flying something called a Citation M2. It's like flying your iPhone. It's pretty much that easy and that uh, enjoyable. Yeah. Jeff Katz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very uh, good much. Good luck sir. on this journey that is Jernera and safe travels. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this episode of Talking Points. A huge thanks to innovator to the max, Jeff Katz. Thanks for joining us. Before we close out this episode, I've got an important reminder that our second annual TPG Awards are coming up on Monday, December 9th in New York City, and we want you to cast your vote. So go to thepointsguy.com slash vote and make sure you get your vote heard, and you'll also be entered to win amazing prizes, including a trip to New York City and to hang out with me in our brand new TPG headquarters, which is going to be insane. Voting closes Friday, November 15th. And once again, vote at thepointsguy.com slash vote. It's easy and fast. There's no reason not to. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm-hmm.